We had a great uh, retreat this past week, uh, primarily focusing on what is called insight of Vipassana, learning to develop the ability and the skill to see things as they are, not how we want them to be. And that is a good tool insight is a good tool, great tool to to develop. But before any of that can be done, there needs to be a development, a deepening of intent. There are people who can achieve stillness and peace when there's nothing poking at them, when there's nothing bothering them, when there's no one assaulting them, either verbally or physically. But very rarely are people equipped and skilled to hold their peace, hold their center, stay in their heart, when there's, a, there's a, an extreme challenge in their life. But it's doable, it's possible, this development of the skill of maintaining your intent, maintaining your, your promise. So this is what I want us to start working on and developing, if we haven't already. It's keyed into or tied into neuroplasticity. In other words, creating a groove, creating a groove, staying on a groove, staying on it until it becomes automatic, until it becomes automatically accessible to us under any given circumstances. In Romans 19, Paul expressed his inability to do good when he wanted to do good and not do bad when he didn't want to do bad. Now his object was the image of the thought of Jesus Christ. That was his object of meditation, his object of skill in doing good and not doing bad. And he had a terrible time, in Romans at least, achieving that. And he felt wretched, unhappy, lower than low, because he was unable to do good when he wanted to do good and not do bad when he didn't want to do bad. And I'm certain that there are a few of us in the Sangha who are dealing with that same issue. But what I am expressing is don't despair, don't give up. There, there is development attainable, but you have to be consistent and committed. It's not something that you can do on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays. 
it's something that must be practiced consistently. Must be practiced consistently in order to be developed and deepened and available to us at those critical times of life and reality where there is just something that appears to be so overwhelming that we can keep our anchor, we can be keep anchored to the commitment that we've made to the moment. That is, I will not be angry, I will not be hating, I will not be lustful, I will not be greedy, I will not be unmindful, I will not be disillusioned. That's our commitment, that's our promise. So one of the things that I want to ask you to consider is first of all remembering every morning as you arise to make that commitment. To make, to set forth that intent on how you will behave, how you will relate to the moment on this day. If we don't develop the habit of committing as soon as we enter the moment, as soon as we enter this day, then the day gets so busy we forget. And before we know it, the day is over and we still haven't done our due diligence on our intention of living with others, with relationship, with the moment. It's about dealing with distracting thoughts, those thoughts that pull us away from our intention. Even when we remember in the morning to make that intention, to promise to live with the heart and from the heart all day. So living from the heart, promising to live from the heart, is not as easy, not as simp 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 simple as lots of people perceive it to be. We think that if we evoke the sacred, evoke the loving, that it will automatically rescue us in time of need. And we're promised this a lot in different theologies and different wisdom paths that if we evoke the sacred, it will somehow cloak us and protect us from the the danger, the distraction. But when we do our work and understand the way the mind works, that it has nothing to do with flesh, everything orchestrates and everything emanates and everything is initiated from consciousness. And so therefore, that's where our work lies. That's where our focus should be. That every day we work on strengthening our efforts and in intention. Because this is what governs, this is what 
guides how we deal with the conditions of reality. Because it's not about the conditions, it's about how we relate to and respond to the conditions of reality. Whether we're happy or satisfied or unhappy or unsatisfied with the status quo in the present moment. This is about finding that peace and joy and happiness that no one can take away from you in the world because no one in the world gave it to you. That you developed it yourself through your own work, through your own effort. By having that insight and realization that there is nothing here that it's not <coughs> that is not or does not contain the sacred or the jewel. I was riding yesterday in the car and I was feeling the cold of the rain and the the experience in the rain and I was saying, gee, how cold it is. But then a thought came up to my mind and said, but it's not as hot as the fire in California. So again, our practice is always there to remind us that in every event that we experience in reality, there is a positive there is something that it brings us to back to our normality, which is the heart, the, the gratitude of life and living and being where we are in the moment. So please don't forget that and please employ that in every instance that mind wants to develop an argument for losing gratitude and developing discontent, okay? It doesn't matter, in my opinion, what you choose to anchor to as far as concept or image or thought the skill and development of that anchor, though, is to be able to be there in spite of or whatever might arise in reality in our moment, in our lives, that we are able to maintain our connection to our intention. So, as an example, if we wake up in the morning and we say to ourselves that we're going to be loving today, that we're not going to allow any discontent, any hatred to enter our heart. That every moment that we encounter reality and everything that we encounter in reality, we will offer love and beneficial energy to it. Then it is a reminder to us that when we stray, when we encounter that distracting thought about 
how dissatisfying this moment is to us, that we remind ourselves and immediately find something to be grateful for. Immediately. Because what happens if we don't, if we, if we don't, then first of all, that indicates that we're not present. That we've already attached to the story and we're drifting away. So that whole thing about insight and, and Vipassana and mindfulness is to be present and to be aware of how the characteristics of life, impermanence and so forth, non-self, erodes our happiness and our gratitude. And to bring ourselves back to the center, bring ourselves back to the heart. And this just keeps going on all day, all moments of consciousness. Staying with it, knowing when we're pulled away, coming back. And what this does is develops the muscle, the muscle of intention which then develops the muscle of the amygdala, that gland of fight and flight. It starts to reduce it so that we don't get caught up in the cultural and the tribal and the fear, because remember, fear has to be present in order to stimulate and initiate that gland in order to decide whether we're going to fight or whether we're going to run away. So there's this direct connection, observable connection, to things that are going on organically in the brain and thoughts and practices that we have from the heart and the spirit. Most of the studies that we've had or we've been shown on neuroplasticity and the effects of meditation on the brain and therefore on the mind and consciousness comes from studies that were done with monks and other meditators who had logged in at least 20,000 hours of meditation. But the current studies are showing that we do not need to accomplish that time frame of contemplation in order to witness and instill changes within our mind and spirit. But that we have to be committed to consistency. We can't just do it on Saturday and then feel like doing it on Wednesday and maybe we'll skip Thursday. The time is not important. Well, it is, but it's not critical in the sense that you have this place where if you do it less than this, you won't receive any benefit at all. Current studies show that if you put in 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes, that's it. Less than a lunch period, less than the time it takes to eat a bag of jujubees. 
that you can have and make positive effects on the mind and that you can open up that connection between the organic brain and the heart where you begin to inscribe on the function of the brain very positive inclinations where you don't have to always be right on point and really alert to guarantee that your response to a situation, to the moment is appropriate, but that it will begin to become automatic. And you will know that through your own self-evaluation, through your own practice of insight and vipassana. You will know by your own karma whether you are automatically leaning toward the wholesome in what you do and how you respond because you will see what comes back at you. This is the the gift of karma. Some people say this is the curse of karma. But it's about instant feedback. How did I do? Well, you found out real quick because it's coming right back at you. So, that's all I'd like to say today. Is there any questions? What you were saying I once knew in my heart, in my, in my brain, in that cognitive thing. What I'm interested now in is the physical pain of the aging body and the mind that wants to scream out, stop. And that is playing, excuse the word, with my mojo, with, with my balance, with my equanimity. What do you say to the physical pain? The suggestions are that we do our best to, first of all, eliminate it if we can through procedures, through pharmaceutical therapies to find a relief for the, the pain that we feel physically. If, that, if none of those things work, then it is about using the pain itself as an object of insight. So the first thing we do is we stop calling it pain because that automatically creates an aversion to the experience. But we call it sensation. We see how 
that can modify our relationship with this sensation that some people call pain. We begin to use it as a tool of insight. For instance, when we are dealing with deliberate discomfort over long periods of time, we begin to develop the illusion that it is steady and present all the time, that it is, we call it chronic pain. But when we are able to use it as an object of observation, we find that it is not static, it is not steady, it is not present in its intention, in its intensity all the time. That it varies, that it's different, that it comes and goes, that it wafts and waves. That it's not always unbearable, sometimes it is bearable. There's another process that we can use, which is, what else would I rather have than this? You know, whose infirmity would I trade mine for? And when we remind ourselves that there are people who are dealing with more serious issues than I am, I then can develop that gratitude for being where I am. One of the things to remind ourselves about is that every moment that we are anywhere we are, no matter what our state of well-being may be, if I'm here, or if I'm walking down the street and it hurts me to walk down the street, but I'm walking down the street, I can always legitimately remind myself that there are people who have to wait in bed for someone to come in and turn them over. Would I like to trade where I am and what I'm doing for that? Do I understand that this is one of the events that life brings. That is the changes in life, the going from the healthy and robust and strong and steady to old age. To, and the gift, again, another reminder is that I didn't have to spend the time that I spent to get to this point. I could have gone to school in Sandy Hook as a kid or gone to the Country Western Bar as a youngster. You know, they don't have those complaints anymore because they're no longer here. But I am here and I am surrounded by love and I have good friends and I have support. I'm not alone. Why am I complaining? Why am I wanting it to be different? This is wonderful that I have all of these things. So I can put my mind there. So, for instance, 
In the Majjhima Nikaya, there's a sutta called the removal of distracting thoughts. Are they, is it necessarily inferring that instead of thinking about this, I think about this, is exactly what they're talking about. They're saying that when a thought comes in that makes me start to deal with my life and my presence in an unwholesome way, that I immediately think about a thought that makes me refer to or remind myself of the positives of life. So as opposed to staying with a subject that makes me go, whoa, I'm unhappy, I'm discontented, I would rather have, you know, a, a, a young body again, I would rather be somebody else, I would rather have something else, I would rather have different knees or different hips or a different head or different whatever, that I can immediately flip the script. I can start to think again about all of those different aspects of how other people are living to put myself back on a state of wholesome thought. So to remind myself that when I am in discontent about my present moment reality, I am not intentionally and I am not in a state of gratefulness. I am not in a state of love and bring any thought to mind that brings me back to that purpose, that path. So try some of those things. You know, try some of those things. Try referencing some of those things to see whether any of them works for you. Yes. Um, I wanted to share a poem by Rumi, and then I guess I'll talk about my own experience, because I don't experience physical pain, but I sure have experienced mental pain my entire life, mm -hmm. mental health issues, and there was a flare-up recently. So it's called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Mm. And that really touched me because um, the flare-up mentally was a sign that I wasn't attending to a specific practice. Mm -hmm. So the core of my suffering is self-criticism and self-hatred that I've had since a very young child. And uh, it flared up with a family member that reminded me of all that. And I realized how the metta practice has been absent from my day-to-day -day 
um, very recently. And I used to even do mirror work morning and night to remind myself that I'm worthy and valuable and so forth. Well, that drifted away. And there were little signs, you know, and symbols showing me that I needed to get back on that path. But mm -hmm. I guess I needed a two-by-four across the face to remind me that. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to welcome even the challenges or discomfort or discontentment because it's showing me exactly what I need to focus on. So, thank you. Mm. I wanted to ask, um, how do you recommend for the new meditator to let go of the mind um, or ease into a meditation? You know, it seems like uh, we're, we're raised letting our mind run free and that's what we're used to so it's almost like meditating is is stopping that that mindset you know that that revolution that's just spinning on its axis endlessly so how, how do we how do we allow ourselves to just not pay attention to those thoughts because they become a habit like you said and i know that over time during the the course of the meditation you know we establish neuroplasticity, uh, we recreate new uh, brain patterns so that way it, it's easier, but for some people it seems like that, that first step is, is the hardest. Um, you know, f for example, my mom, you know, she tells me every time I, I meditate I just can't. I end up falling asleep, um, I think of this and that, and it's just, it's impossible for me, and, and I tell her, well, you know, it, it takes time, but how do you, what, what would be a way to ease into that and how would you answer that? Well the first thing we need to do is we find a, a functional exercise in meditation that is that addresses the contaminants and the defilements that we carry around inside our own minds. So it's not just picking up any any tool, a shovel when we really need a hammer. But it is about first of all saying what is my, what are my challenges with life? What am I challenged with? And then start to pick the exercises that develop and strengthen the wholesome side of those things. Right? So the first thing you have to do is to, to just reflect on what it is that you do in your life that you don't want to do anymore, that you find egregious, that you find not useful anymore, like anger maybe, or you know that you that don't that don't work for you anymore. And so then there are exercises, there are procedures that address those unwholesome qualities that you discover within your own consciousness. So to start with then, it's just about sitting down and watching the mind. Not your mind, but the mind. Writing down, listing what you find, the, con the um, contents of your mind. What are the positive things you find? What are the unwholesome things that you find. And that's the first step. And then when you, when you achieve that, and again, set, set an intention. Say, I'm going to sit and watch my mind for 
10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is that you feel comfortable working with. And then get yourself a timer, like an egg timer or a kitchen timer, so that you don't have to go, what time is it now? What time is it now? But just turn it to the time that you want to sit. And then just watch. See what boils, bubbles up. And then at the end of your exercise, write down the things that you found. And do that for a week. You'll, you'll have some redundancies. Maybe you'll find that every day it's the same thing over and over again. I don't know. But at the end of the week, come back and talk to me, and then we'll, do, we'll uh, discuss an exercise, a meditation exercise that addresses those specific things. Right? Okay. Thank you. Let's start working on strengthening intention. So, again, it starts out by saying, what is it that, what kind of person do I want to be? A person filled with gratitude, a person filled with love, a person filled with kindness. And then you develop the generic exercise of concentration or samadhi. Just attaching yourself to the breath. Later on, you can be specific, but right now it's about developing or energizing the intention itself. The, the ability to stay connected to what you want to stay connected to, whatever that might be, love, kindness, generosity. But right now you're working on the ability to stay connected to what you want to connect to and be and, and not be jostled from that. And so that's something as simple as just connecting with the breath. Just when you lose it, when you find yourself in a story, as the instructions go, just come back to the breath again. Lose it, come back to the breath again. It's not any judgment on how many times you've lost it, how many times you had to come back. Because all of those things benefit you. The more you leave and come back, the better you get at coming back. And one of the questions are, why is it that when I make an intention to be loving today, I'm not? And again, we can always remember the instant that we got angry. Why is it that I didn't right then and there when I realized that I was angry say, I don't want to be angry. I'm sorry. That's not what I want to do today. I don't want to fight today. Why can't we orchestrate a change right then and there? Why is it that we get so caught up in our drama that we let it play all the way to the end before we say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. You know, I could have handled it better. Why do we wait? Why don't we stop it right there? Why do we give ourselves permission to continue to misbehave when we know that's not what we want to do? So coming back to our object is a way of coming back to our object, of getting better at letting go of the new thing, whatever that might be, 
and coming back to our intention. Just coming back, just coming back. And we get better at that and get better at that. And then we find that eventually in our experiences, in our real-time experiences, we will be able to remind ourselves in the midst of some drama that we have no intention of doing that and no intention of being that kind of person and treating someone else that way. And we stop and we apologize. And that doesn't mean the other person is going to accept it. That doesn't mean the other person is going to love you more or hug you or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they're going to forgive you. But that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it to make yourself more wholesome and, and a better citizen of the world. Has nothing to do with the other guy. Okay. So, everybody ready?
during this coming week and all of the weeks after that, always give yourself space to reflect before you speak. In the exercise that we do on Thursdays with Insight, is always the instruction to to pause, to take a breath before you usher forth your opinion. That pause gives us the space to ask ourselves if what we are about to do and say, is it appropriate? Is it wholesome? Is it loving? And if it isn't, don't do it. And then while you're doing it, while you're speaking, take a pause, take a breath, and say, is this appropriate? Is this wholesome? After you've done it, ask yourself the same question. It gives you that time to look at what it is you're creating, what it is you're mandating for reality, and do that self-evaluation. You know, and you can work it any way you want to, but the point is to take that space, take that breath, and say, is this wholesome? Is this loving? Is this appropriate? And if it isn't, stop it. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you so much for the work that you do, the support that you give. We appreciate it. We'll grow old together. Thank you. <laughs>